0: I was meditating upon the Christmas, the spirit of Christmas. What happens? We talk about the spirit of Christmas or uh, the Christmas spirit. Some people call it the Christmas spirit, and we're going to go back to that song again that I shared last week because there are some things within that song here. When it "Joy to the World," where it says "Joy to the world, the Lord has come." Let earth receive her king, let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing. And last week we talked about uh, uh, where the Lord fits into all the things that's happening within the equation as we are celebrating, where is Jesus? Sometimes Jesus is left out of the whole celebration. People can get to the place. In fact, it's not coincidental that many times he's even depicted as an X. It is saying that X mass, that we are able to have a celebration, but forget about the one that we ought to be celebrating. Having a birthday, but not celebrating the one who was given birth. So, we want to make sure that we emphasize the Christ of Christmas, the Christ of Christmas. That must be our emphasis. One thing about even when the world celebrates Christmas, there's a strange feeling all around us at this particular time of the year. And if you've not noticed it, whether you're in the markets, whether you're in the stores, or wherever you go, there's a strange feeling that comes over us as we come to this part of the year. And uh, our job as believers is to make the best first of all, the world makes the best of what they understand, but ours is to bring definition to what's really taking place. What What is this thing really all about? What is Christmas really all about? And I'm also wanting to contrast it to the way Christmas is viewed by those that don't know Christ. There's a song that all of you, most of you are familiar with. You probably heard it. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Now, that's not coincidental. It says, have yourself a merry little Christmas. It says, let your heart be light. And then it goes on to say, from now on, our troubles will be out of sight. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Make the yuletide gay. From now on, our troubles will be miles away. I'm not going to go throughout the whole song, but I just want you to understand something of this expression because here we are talking about the experience that we have and the experience they are having during this time of Christmas and how that... Feeling how that, how what they're experiencing is given expression to, how you express it. So, in that, you begin to look at Christmas, a time, a feeling of ecstasy, momentary pleasure. You think about it, have yourself a merry little Christmas, momentary pleasure. In other words, here's the time where you might take a drink, have a Christmas buzz. <laughs> You know what I mean. You know what I mean here. You just get a Christmas buzz. You say, "Look, man, I'm about to celebrate." So, how do you celebrate? Let's celebrate. And and then whatever is going on, you you say that. Well, there are things that you probably normally wouldn't do, but because it's Christmas, man, let's 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 get let's get on with it. Let's have some fun. But then, the song says it gives us false promises. Look at the false promise. It says here, from now on, from now on, our troubles will be out of sight. <laughs> from now on, your troubles will be miles away. Isn't that false promise? Isn't that false promise? Until such time that you, 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 you wake up. The day after Christmas, or a month after Christmas, and you have those bills to pay. Because you overcharge your credit cards. Trying to have a momentary pleasure making everybody else bright and gay, you overcharge your credit card. Or you wake up with a hangover. (laughs) That buzz became more than just a buzz. (laughs) But now you're still buzzing with the day after. And we talk about it says your troubles out of sight is really out of sight, out of mind. You're not thinking about what might be your troubles. You said, let those troubles uh, be thought about, considered maybe at some future time. Don't think about problems now. But then, I like what Paul Harvey would say, what about the rest of the story? Ours is to interpret Christmas for what its true meaning really is. How can a person really understand what Christmas is all about? And I would ask you the question, what does Christmas mean to you? Before we talk about how others may see it, I'm talking to those of us that are here. What does Christmas really mean to you? You have to give some thought to that. I, I was looking at a story, and, and I wondered how would this tie into it, but it was a story when Philip, uh, in Acts chapter 8, verse 26, when Philip uh, had this encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch. And I'm going to read a part of it and now just paraphrase most of it, but here's what happened. When Philip saw the, first of all, he was, he was teleported into the place where the Ethiopian eunuch was reading scriptures. And it says, Philip said, arise and go towards the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's not by coincidence we begin to see Gaza as we understand the war that's taking place now. This is desert. So he rose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury. Now, understand that's significant also, that the Ethiopian eunuch had charge of all the treasuries of Candace, Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. And uh, while, uh, see, he was going to Jerusalem, he's come to Jerusalem to worship, His objective, I saw a contrast even here because here is a man that had charge of all of the queen's treasury, but his focus was not upon the treasury as much as something beyond the treasury. He was thinking, he said, there has to be something more valuable than the treasury of the queen because he was going to Jerusalem. To worship, which wasn't uh, strange, but he's going to worship, and was reading the holy scriptures, but he was void of understanding. He was void of understanding, and sitting on that chariot, he was reading Isaiah, the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, "Go near and overtake the chariot." So that's when he was teleported. He was he came near to overtake the chariot, and when he overtook the chariot. Philip ran to him, and he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, he said to him, do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading? Now, understand all of this. His interest was in something more than what the people normally think about when they think about treasures. Uh, And now he's at a place where he's looking are not, he's reading something that he didn't understand. So, and he said, "How can I understand? How can I unless someone guides me?" Now, you got to pay attention to this. This is going to make sense after a while. How can I understand this unless someone guides me? So he he. So what he did, he understood something. He understood first of all. That there, that there was an understanding that's deeper than he understood concerning the Scriptures that he was reading. I, I was thinking, before I go further, understand, I was thinking about something uh, uh, that I think is very significant to all of us, and this is something I'm saying to all of you and to those of you that's watching. When the student is ready, the teacher will come. When the student is ready, the teacher will come. Now understand, he recognized that he lacked understanding of that which he was, in fact, reading. And then the Lord caused it to happen that Philip was teleported to the very place where the man was reading something whereas he lacked understanding of what he was reading. So, immediately, God sent the teacher. (laughs) Did you hear something here? So, so I, I would venture to say to all of us, when we get to that place where we have more questions than answers, we're being positioned to understand some things that we had not understood beforehand. That's what God does. He brings his place because, understand, he says any person, if if you lack wisdom, any man or any woman, any person that lacks wisdom, let him what? Ask of God who will give liberally, and he will not upbraid you. He would not look at you in a way as if you have no reason to ask those questions. So I'm going to tell you something. A good learner is a good questioner. A good learner is a person that know how to ask questions, but not questions of doubt and unbelief. That's the difference now. But in order to gain or attain a deeper level of understanding and knowledge. So now, understand there are those now, the reason this is important, because there are those who out of their own insecurities would rather match their wits with God and the one who is bringing instructions to them. They like to feel as if they know more than they really know. They have more questions, more answers rather than questions, while their whole life and existence remain a big, unanswered question. The questions of life are not answered to them. They're at a place where life is so perplexing that they don't know whether to turn to the left or to the right. They don't know which way to go. But when this particular eunuch, and it's not coincidental he was a eunuch. A eunuch was one who was brought to a place where he was sexless because he had, uh, he had gone through surgery. And as a result of that, he's, he, he's at a place where he could be trusted over the… the, over the with, with, with the, I would say, the women because he was sexless. <laughs> But uh, he also had access to the treasury. He could be trusted even around money, he could be trusted with money, he could be trusted with women. He could be trusted. In other words, what is he going to steal? What can he steal and what what is he going to steal for? So Philip ran to him and he said, I need guidance, I need guidance. So understand, he says, I'm going to answer, I'm going to bring understanding of what you're reading." but I'm also going to answer your life's question, the question of your life, the question that's most perplexing within your life. He was reading this. He said, what are you reading? As he said, he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place, he said, come up here and sit with me. He said, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer in silence. He opened not his mouth in his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And then he said that, who would declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began, and beginning at the scripture, preached Jesus to him. You see what happened? Now he can talk about where Jesus fits. He began to t- preach Jesus to him. And now, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the truth of the matter is that they said, See, here's the water. He baptized the Ethiopian eunuch. Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered, I believe, and you understand that he was baptized. So now, look at all of this. Look at all of the things that led to the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. And I believe that if you begin to trace his steps, you'll come to realize that even the hardest of hearts can be saved that they can come to an understanding of who Jesus is to a measure, to a degree that they had never understood him before. But you understand, but it can never take place without questions. Without questions. Why are we celebrating Christmas? Why am I here in church? Why is it necessary for me to listen to a sermon." You see, all of these things because these are questions. Now, when you begin to look at… And I would venture to say this quest, this generation, particularly young people, are at a place where they're not just going to put up with stuff that doesn't have any… doesn't make any sense. They're tired of just going through the motions or just engaging in ceremonial activities. They want truth. They want something that's real. And oftentimes when a person is seeking truth and counterfeit is presented to them, it will only last so long until it's exposed because its disguise will eventually be, uh, be pulled away from it, you see, because understand, when a person is seeking the truth, he or she is in a very vulnerable position. You see, you have to get around people that you can trust because if you're around people that you cannot trust, it's very easy to be deceived by those that appear to have more to offer you than those that really love you. I'm going to talk about love after a while because I want you to see what was taking place. You see, what has Christmas meant to you and what does Christmas mean to you? Some people say it's a break from the activities of the daily grind. Got a day off. (laughs) I don't have to go to work during this time. I don't have to go to school during this time, you see. And that's good, isn't it? I got got my break now. I got a time where I can relax, leisure. Also, it's a time to be generous because around Christmas time, you're even greedy strangers. Merry Christmas to a person you don't even know. Uh, uh, Merry Christmas, you you see. You feel obligated oftentimes to exchange gifts, Uh, gifts with others, you see. So, all of that, helping people to feel valued. I'm giving you this because I love you. But the truth of the matter is that this was a very special day that we celebrate. We don't know the exact day when Jesus was born, but this is the day where we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the day that Jesus Christ was born. Now, let's pull back and look at the significance of this birth. That was the day when you were born. That was the day. You had a birthday. That was the day when you were born. The day of your birth is very significant to you. The day of your birth, you think about it. How do you feel when your birthday comes around? How do you feel? Some people try to ignore it. Oh, that's my birthday. I don't make a big deal of it. But no, don't listen to them. <laughs> To people that try to act like it's not a big deal. You have to get, have to get me anything. You have to pay attention. Don't listen to that. Don't listen to that because their birthday means a whole lot to them regardless of what might have happened throughout their lives. Birthdays matter. Birthdays matter. But now we're talking about the birthday of the King of Kings and the Lord of lords. His birthday, the day of your birth, but now we're talking about the day of His birth. It has a very special meaning, a purpose that was a purpose that preceded His birth that was now being fulfilled as a result of His birth. So I would venture to say the same thing applies to you. The reason that you were born because your purpose preceded your birth God has something that He wanted to do, and He brought you on the scene in order for that which He had purposed to be fulfilled through you. So in other words, nobody here is an accident. Nobody here just showed up without God having an intent for that. I don't care how you got here. God has something in mind when you were born. But now we look at Christmas, one of the things about Christmas, and it's not, it's not by accident that we see these lights on this Christmas tree. And if you go down the streets, we used to, I remember as kids, we would take y'all through places to look at the lights, just ride through the communities to look at the lights, and, and, and everywhere is just bright, and just, just lights flashing, and beautiful pictures, and some people go way out the way to make sure that they decorate with a whole lot of lights, But then the Scripture says here in John chapter 3 verse 19, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world. He talked about lights. Those lights aren't just there for decorations alone, but they represent something. They represent something. It is saying, and and, and watch what it says here. It starts with the negative because they didn't understand the lights. And he says, and they misread the message. He says, so this is the condemnation. So you're here to be enlightened. You're here to be brought to a place of understanding and to get a clear comprehension of things that I trust that you've questioned. And now you're at a place of being able to comprehend it like you had never seen it before. He said that the light has come into the world. Now, we can go all the way back into all those uh, folklores and and, and going back into history and time and how the Druids and the Celtics and all that used to celebrate understanding Saturnalia. Uh, yeah, I, I did teachings and all of that, so I do understand uh, the, uh, about the solstice and uh, uh, all of this, but, but understand now our meaning is different from those that would say the Christmas tree is a, a, a really, a, a, they say it's It's abomination. And they said that it's, uh, if you put the Christmas tree up, that you're involved in idolatry and worshiping, I ain't got to go there. I look at that light, and I read this Scripture, and I said, the light has come. The light is coming to the world. And you may see all of that. And then I understand, and this is what he says, is that the condemnation is, the condemnation is that men love darkness rather than light. Men love darkness rather than light. Now, now, you would wonder why would someone much rather reside in darkness? Now, if you look at these particular things, they're figuratively spoken because they're saying that people would much rather be in the darkness rather than light. You say, well, that's not me because I like lights even in the bedroom. I want a light on so I can know how to get to the bathroom. But it's not talking about just light as light as we know it, but it's taught about being enlightened. Being enlightened. He said, people, the enlightenment has come. God has shown up in flesh. The Lord showed up. He manifest Himself in human flesh. Uh, as as uh, Dr. Marva was saying, the hypostatic union, we begin to see God, fully God and fully man coming upon the scene, making His presence known to all of us. He said, the light is not coming, but the light has come, and it has come into all the world. There was no place on this planet where the light had not been made available to all. He said, but all that light, men loved. I like this word. They loved darkness. Not that they, you see, they loved, not that they were not exposed to the light, but the objects, the object of their affection would cause them to gravitate in the direction of darkness because of their default setting, because of their fallen nature. You see, the fallen nature of mankind, which was the nature within all of us, that all of us, we were born. We talked about the day of your birth. We were born in sin. We were born in sin. Now, listen to what he's saying here. So, when you were born, you were a sinner because you had sinful blood inside of you. Sinful blood was was flowing through your veins. In other words, the propensity to rebel against God resided within each and every one of us. That's the nature of man. He said, so therefore the propensity to sin resided within each one of us. If we're left to ourselves, we're going to eventually gravitate in the direction of our nature. Our nature will dictate our, our activities and how we, pres- how we express life will be dictated to us as a result of our nature. You put a fish, fish is accustomed to water. He swims in water. Take him outside of the water, he'll die. You see, birds fly in the air. It's the nature of the bird to fly in the air. So your nature is and was to sin. So he says, so now we look at how sin has come into the world, uh, how light now has come into the world. So it provided an opportunity for people to begin to see the the, the very thing that was causing them to act the way they act, to think the way they think, and to believe the way they believe. He said, but now the question is, how many will ask the question, why do I act this way? Why do I think this way? why do I believe the way I believe? You see, there has to be a people that will begin to question their behavior and not just accept it as being themselves. And then it produces within the individual a sense of dissatisfaction. I don't like the way I think. I don't like the way I act. I don't like what I believe. Something's wrong with me. Now, that's a very critical state. You see, the cross if you think about it, it, is when you reach a point of crisis. You see the cross in crisis, you begin to see how that word is, is connected. He says, so we reach this point of crisis, and then this place whereby we begin to question all of life because life itself no longer makes sense. Life itself doesn't make sense any longer. And he says, so now you begin to say that's at that crisis point. You see, you're at the pivotal point of life. You're at the crossroad of life. You're at that place where life could go one way or the other. But it all depends on whether you see the light or whether you continue to walk in darkness. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. Because in darkness, I always say, don't make critical life decisions while you're in the dark. Don't make critical life decisions while remaining in the dark. You're going to marry somebody and you're in the dark. And you wake up and you say, well, what did I? You say, don't make critical life decisions while you're in the dark. Because what are you doing? You're basing, or you're allowing your life to be uh, determined by what you feel. A blind man has to feel his way. This feels like, oh, it doesn't feel like a flower to me. It's rougher. You see something, this doesn't feel, but 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 you see, it feel like a tree. But it is a an, it's an artificial tree. But I will misread it unless I see it in the light. You, you see, there are things that uh, we did this thing, what do you call it? Something in the dark. We did uh, a, a, a thing. And, and when we walked through, we had, all the lights were out. It was in, in uh, here in Atlanta. And, and when we walked through, we had to feel our way through the whole uh, experience. And they said, well, touch this. What does it feel like? You heard sounds and you felt. But it was like, so we had a I would say we begin to experience what a blind man must have to, how life is viewed if you were in fact blind. But you think about it spiritually, that's where people are when you're walking in darkness rather than in the light. He said, but then eventually you accept it and you say, well, this is just life. This is how life is. He says, so then... It says, when the light has come, this is Christ coming, when the light has come into the world, men loved darkness, they would much rather remain in darkness rather than light because now their deeds were evil. They never questioned their deeds. Why do I do the things I do? Their customs of what they had grown accustomed to within darkness was now imposed upon them. And they didn't want anything any, diff- any, any different. Now, then we begin to see these customs, traditions. And then in our day, if you have adjusted to the darkness, you find yourself coming up with new customs and new traditions and routines and habits. But there are still customs, routines, and habits that are done in the darkness. So, when it says the light has come, what is it really saying? It said the message has come. The message has come and lived or resided among us. It's not just the message has come, but the message lived among us. The message became, uh, you you see, the message began to to present to us a pattern, a model of something other than what we had grown accustomed to. He is the living word. He is the word God alive. Jesus had a complete human experience. His experience as a human being was a complete human experience. He fully identified with us. There was nothing about our human nature. That the Lord—I didn't say that He sinned; He was without sin. But understand, He recognized and could fully identify with everything you encounter in life. There's nothing out of your human experience that the Lord could not relate or identify with. Now, that's something to think about. Let's get thoughts to that. Let's think about. It. You say, "Well, I'm going through this. I'm going through that." The Lord could fully identify with whatever you might have gone through or may at this moment be going through. He fully identifies with all of that. Complete human experience. But the objective of his identification with us is that we may fully identify with him. He says, I want you to experience, it's not just freeing you from the things that you see that's wrong within you. But I'm bringing you to a place where you'll have an altogether new experience, an experience that you in life would have never, ever had before. Now, that's the new birth. It is not just correcting the things that's wrong in us, but it's lifting us above the things that we would otherwise be engaged in. So, He fully identifies with us that we may fully identify with Him, that we may completely experience the life that He had throughout all eternity. Eternal life is more, it's not just life restored as it once was in the Garden of Eden. Eternal life, it takes us beyond that. Both experiences were unique because what Jesus did, Jesus had to fully identify with us. And how did He do it? He said He had to learn obedience through the things that He suffered because Jesus knew no suffering. He knew no suffering until He identified with us. He had to learn, how do you handle suffering? How do you handle disappointment? How do you handle rejection? That was not His experience. He never experienced that because He was with the Father who loved him unconditionally. He understood agape love, but all of this was new to him. <clears throat> and then he said, how can I explain to you, you finite creature, <clears throat> this level, when you've always dealt on that level? You wouldn't, if I could, no, he's he the living word. If I were to use words to try to explain to you eternal life, I couldn't do it with all the words in the dictionary. I, I could ex- exhaust myself of all, of everything that's in anyone's vocabulary and still not scratch the surface of what eternal life is really all about. So what happens as we look at it? He said, the way I must do it, let me go deeper into your experience. Deeper into your experience. He said, not just to suffer as you have suffered or will suffer. Listen to this now. But he also submitted himself unto death. Jesus, who has always known the love of the Father, had to suffer rejection from the Father. And that's not all, he had to die. He had to die. Not only did he have to die, he had to die your death. He had to die your death. He who had the power over death had to die. And he died willingly to settle the debt that you owed. He says, so now we talk about the light has come. He saying that I, He came to deliver you or to free you ultimately from your misery and from your pain that you may receive eternal life and the eternal life that only He can give. We talk about reducing life the simplest common denominator, so that we can understand what life is really about. But I was thinking a little while ago about exchange students. We have, you're probably familiar with exchange students, and what happens when a exchange student uh, is brought into a situation, it it really says a student from one country received into an institution, he received an institution into another country. And it's changed, another student sent to the other country, so you learn whatever may exist in one country that's not your country, and then that other student learned was in the other country that's not his own. So, that's what Jesus Christ did. He was an exchange, he was an exchange student. <laughs> he was an exchange student. He said, I'm going to learn what you have experienced because I want you to learn what I have, in fact, experienced. Now, now the truth of it all is that you cannot rightly love without rightly knowing God as He really is. Without, and, and, and then, here's how we come to the place of love. We can, write, we can only love rightly unless we have an interest in what He says concerning Himself. What does the Lord say about Himself? That's why the Word is so important. Because here we receive instructions, a manual. But yet the manual guideline is merely for instruction, but then we must enter into the experience, the experience. So God sent, listen to what it said. so on this day, God sent light into the world, but God sent His message into the world. Did you see that? He sent His message. He sent his message. He said, I sent light into the world, to enlighten the world, but I sent my message so that the words that I had spoken, the words that I'm speaking, now we begin to see that. We begin to see that with our very eyes. You see, the things that you've heard, that your hands have handled. He he said, I've allowed you to enter into the experience with me. God sent his mercy. And the, the question now is who's interested? Who's interested that they might be made to understand? The Scripture says in Isaiah 28 and 9, this is what he says, Whom will he teach knowledge and to whom will he make to understand the message? What he does, I like the way he says it, when we commit our hearts and lives to the Lord, He said, experience is not always the best teacher. Experience is not always the best teacher. Even though experience is a teacher, we learn as a result of the things that we experience. But he says, but whom will he teach? He said, so every situation, every circumstance that are beyond our control, every situation that we encounter within our lives that God is using those experiences as a way of teaching us. But the truth of the matter, here's something I had to learn. We think that every experience, every situation is beyond control. (coughs) But the truth of the matter, every experience and circumstance is already beyond our control. In other words, when we think we're in control, when we think we can handle matters, we think we're driving. We think that we are handling things on our own. The truth of the matter is that you, you, you're, you're under a, a assumption that you're handling it. But you're not really. Ha- it took God's help. It took God's. It took the Lord to govern that situation because even when you thought you were in control, you were really not in control. But you had to acknowledge you. it's His to bring you to a place of acknowledging the fact that you cannot control your own situations. Our neededness is not always clearly recognized. And I would venture to say that the first act on God's part is to bring us a place of recognizing our own neediness, our own neediness. Because when we think that we can handle things, God has to awaken us to show you. He said, let me tell you something, you can't handle this thing by yourself. You can't handle this thing. This thing is too heavy for you. Well, I can handle this. I've had people tell me that I can handle this on my own. I can see, I I need now I need your help, Lord. I need you to help me with this one. But but I can handle this. No, even those things that I thought I could handle. Those things that I thought I was under it was under my control. I had to come to a place and say, Lord, I need you even in what would otherwise be simple things. In him we live, in him we move and in Him we have our being. Now, the situations. Here's what the Lord did. He came among His own. He came among His own. He came among the chosen nation. It was recorded, registered in Old Testament Scripture. He came among... Those that had been handpicked by him, not because of their greatness, not because of their might, not because of anything that they possessed ahead of time. He came among those that he had chosen. But the chosen ones rejected him. God was rejected by those that he had selected. Are you hearing this? He was rejected by those that he had, in fact, selected. And my question is, why? We mentioned in darkness their ears were attuned to a different sound. They set, their frequency was set on a different channel. I've said it many times about if you have a radio and uh, you have an AM radio that doesn't have FM. You're limited and restricted to only picking up AM stations, low-power stations. But then when you get an FM radio, AM-FM radio, you can get what? Both AM and pick up FM, but within there's a certain range that the signal can be picked up. And I've driven to places in the mountains. You go to a certain place, you lose you lose the signal and you cannot pick up anything, you see. But here's what happens. There's another signal that's not FM. It's not AM, neither is it FM, you see. It's called XM. Now, the XM station sends a signal from a satellite. Whether you're in the mountains or you're in the valley, because of the fact that the signal comes from above, it can reach the lowest valley. It can reach up to the highest mountain. There's a signal and there's a receptor There's a receiver that can receive that signal regardless of where that signal. You can even go to another place within the country and still pick up the signal. Now, here's what the Lord is saying, that your XM station can in no wise be compared to the signal that God sent from heaven downward to the earth so that we could possibly receive the word or the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, but what you have to do, you have to have a heart change in order for that signal to reach you. Here's what happens, people that are selective. I just, I can't get past AM, I can't get past FM. A- a- could it, this be possible? Could this possibly be God's Word that's spoken to you, but you are not able to pick up the signal? Could the source which limits one's expectation be the very thing that blocks him or her from receiving from God, where it becomes too common? Wrong culture, not popular, not enough people receiving it. The person that here my he, you're just too old. I can't receive from you because you're too old. Used to be you're too young. So either way, they used to tell me I was too young. Now they say, I can't get it because you're too old. The question has always been, who are you willing to receive from? How was he rejected? When his life no longer challenges you to become more than you currently are. When the message no longer challenges you to become more than you currently are, then what happens? You feel in your own heart, your own mind, that you've outgrown the message. When His Word is rejected, that He appears unreasonable to those who have no room or time for Him. We mentioned last week, what does He fit in? Our witness, then, provides evidence of the reality of Christ, and when He's neglected or ignored, the message of your life becomes counterproductive. So we must still present the Word of God and become a witness to the Word of God regardless of whether people accept it or whether reject it. But if they reject it, it's the loss to those that rejected it. It's not a loss to the one who God has called to present it. It's a loss to those who have rejected it. As many who have received it, received him, he gave power to become children of God. I'm going to close, I'm going to close, because here's what I want you to listen to what the Lord is in fact saying to us in relation to who He is. He is saying that the Word today is being rejected by many who choose to remain in darkness. And the darkness is of such That Jesus Christ is in fact rejected. This is what Jesus said concerning Himself. He began to talk about Himself. He said He was in the world. The world uh, was made through Him. Now, that's His history, but the world did not know Him. He came to His own. His own did not receive Him, but as many received Him, He gave The right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And God is saying to us, he said, I have come that you may have not life as you have known it in the past, but life eternal, life eternal, and have it more abundantly. The, the people wanted to know where Jesus lived here in, Acts, in Matthew eight eighteen, And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. I will go wherever you go. And here's what Jesus said. Now, this is Jesus within the earth. He said, I'm going to tell you something. He said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Holes that they may have dug out for themselves. The fox had to dig the hole in order to live in the hole. The nests had to be built for themselves for the bird to live within the nest. But he says, they had erected a place of rest for themselves, a dwelling place in order to rest. Here's what the Lord is saying. He said that there was no dwelling place place for me to rest, but I'm building one. (laughs) I'm building a place of rest as a result of your receiving enlightenment, and that enlightenment can only come from me. I want to find your heart as a place of rest. I want to find, you say, I want to find this church To be a place of rest. I want to be able to reside among you. As the Holy Spirit began to settle upon him as a dove, the Lord says, I want to find you as becoming a place of rest. The question is, let every heart prepare him room. Let heaven And all of nature sing. Let heaven and nature sing. Let heaven, all of heavens and nature sing. Father, thank you that we can rejoice because of the light that has illumined our souls and brought us to a place of seeing what we otherwise would have been incapable of seeing, that we may know what we would otherwise be incapable of knowing, that we may do the things that we would otherwise be incapable of doing. It is as a result of your bringing light to us through the person of Jesus Christ that has brought us to a place where we see life differently. Life is no longer just that which we try to make for ourselves. But now life itself has taken on an altogether different meaning. So in this, we give thanks to you, Father, for sending your Son. And thank you, Jesus. For dying for us, living before us, and then dying for us in our stead upon the cross. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.